Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Now that we have the opportunity to get out into the great outdoors of northeastern Pennsylvania, you might want to be on the lookout for Bigfoot. Really? We have a gentleman by the name of Jason Talmadge who will be joining us during this special edition, and he'll tell us about what we can look for, and yes, there have been sightings. Also, we'll hear from Penn State Nutrition, Mary Errett and Carol Zuberis. They will be telling us about some of the great programs that Penn State has that you can take part in with your group that will not only teach you something new, but also keep you food safe. But first, we're going to start with Dawn Webster. She is a physician's assistant with MedExpress in Pittsburgh. Dawn is going to talk about something that... That you might want to get the guys near the radio for men's health. Dawn, there are many women who are probably listening today who can relate to the phrase, if I don't do it for my husband, it won't get done. And most of the time, that tends to go toward health care because it seems guys always seem to think it's not that bad it's going to go away so let's talk a little bit about men's health am i kind of true on that yes absolutely i would agree with that so what can we do in order to get them a little bit more receptive uh i mean if it's If it's really bad, they'll go. But what about when we see something going on and instead of nagging and saying, come on, you have to or whatever, what are some things that maybe we can do in order to inspire them to get the care they might need? Sure. So I think the most important thing would be to make their, you know, yearly or even twice a year appointment with their family doctor. So it's their family doctor's job, really, to be the ones that are on top of them for all the different screenings, all the different blood work. Their family doctor is essentially, you know, the person that's really going to push and let them know, hey, you're five years past due on this colonoscopy, or we haven't done blood work in three years. So that's it's going to take it out of our hands completely. As long as we get them into that family doctor, they're going to be the ones who are really pushing for them to get all of their screenings done and, you know, after, you know, talking to them about their past medical history and their family history, they're going to really know which ones to, to focus on and, you know, really make the priority. And a lot of times there are certain things, especially when we talk about heart attacks, and we've talked about heart attacks before, but in men, there seem to be some kind of traditional symptoms. Can you just go over some of those so that in case any of the guys are listening, it might even give them a little bit more inspiration. 
Sure, absolutely. So with men, it's it's the typical, you know, heart attack symptoms. They have chest pain or pressure, you know. I mean, classic is feels like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. A lot of times that pain or pressure can radiate or move to the left arm, the left side of the neck, or even the left back. A lot of times they think they, they pulled a muscle or strained something just because of the way it kind of aches. Um, the other thing to kind of keep an eye on is, does it happen every time they're cutting the grass? Does it happen every time they're, you know, doing any type of exertional activity? That's a red flag. And then they also kind of have to be cognizant of their family history. You know, did their dad, grandpa, and great-grandpa all have heart attacks in their 50s? Well, that's a huge red flag that, you know, they need to get checked. They need to get screened because it is. It's a huge genetic factor um, in terms of, you know, cholesterol and blockages. So that's one of the huge things that I like to stress is, is, you know, paying attention to your family history also. When we're talking about men's health, we're talking about things such as heart attacks. And another big issue is prostate problems. And there's been a lot of changes in the way that uh, physicians are looking and treating things like prostate cancer. But before you get to that, are there different types of warning signs or things that, again, a guy might notice that would say, hmm, maybe this is something a little bit more than just I think it is? Sure. So some of the big things you'd want to watch out for um, is changes in your urine stream. So you go to the bathroom and you can't get it to start. That's called hesitancy. Or the stream is weaker or slower than normal. Um, You know, those are kinds of red flags that something may be going on. But, you know, going back to that family doctor, there is a blood test. Um, It's called the PSA. And it is a screening test that, if elevated, tells you something could be going on and you need to investigate it further. So, you know, they don't always even have to do the exam, the, the dreaded prostate exam. A lot of times they just do the blood work if the blood works fine you know, depending on the age and the family history, that's all that needs to be done. So it's not as bad as it seems. When when we're going through a lot of these different things, one of the things that you mentioned with the family doctor is the colonoscopy. And that's supposed to be around the age of 50. And it's not always, again, it's it's just like going into your doctor and talking about prostate. You don't necessarily want to do that because, well, for whatever reason. But again, are there things that men should look for so that they don't think about putting it off and, and really say, well, maybe I should go because I've noticed what? So any changes in your stool. So if you're, you know, men are pretty typical at, you know, going to the bathroom once a day, every day, like clockwork, if that changes. Or all of a sudden they start having issues with constipation they never had before. And then obviously big red flags would be any type of blood, any type of red, um, black um, stools. Black stools are actually a sign of blood in the stool, just kind of higher up in the GI tract, blood that's kind of been digested. So um, pretty much any changes in bowel function. One of the other things, too, and maybe in this day and age, men are a little bit more 
conscious of it. But what about weight? Weight seems to be uh, one of those factors that, of course, men and women look at in many different ways. But is there a different way that men should be thinking about their weight than women? Sure. So um, in terms of waist circumference, that's kind of a big one when it comes to, to early um, diabetes type 2. So studies have shown that waist circumference, kind of that midsection, um, you know, if your legs and arms kind of seem how they used to be, but your, your abdomen keeps growing, um, that's kind of a precursor for diabetes type 2. So that's one of the things you want to look at, and that's one of the things that they're kind of starting to, to look at more in terms of screening. But, yeah, men normally, um, you know, when women get older and they go through menopause, their hormones kind of change their metabolism, and, the, and, and men don't have that quite as much. So a lot of times men don't start gaining like women do. But when they do, that could be a sign that you have something else going on, like diabetes or um you know, really, there's other things, too, um, that overweight can, can cause, like sleep apnea. I mean, there's just so many things. So, yeah, weight is important to kind of keep under control. And you mentioned the diabetes. Is there a way to tell that someone may have diabetes? And, and maybe it's not just the same way in men, but maybe in women as well? Sure. Yeah. So, again, back to the simple blood work. So, um, when you do get your blood work done, you're, you're going to have to fast, which means no eating before your test. Typically, they have you start around 10 to 12 hours before the test. So you want to schedule it for first thing in the morning. And they look at a fasting glucose. So the glucose is the amount of sugar that's in your body. And, um, you know, every year it kind of changes as far as, uh, you know, what the guidelines are. But that's, you know, essentially what they'll look at. And if it is high or even just a little bit high, then they're going to tell you you're a pre-diabetic, which essentially means if you don't make some changes to your lifestyle, watch your diet, start exercising, lose a little bit of weight, then, you know, you're going to unfortunately be looking at diabetes in a couple of years. What do you see most when men come in to MedExpress? Because, again, you're, sometimes they can treat you as their primary physician because a lot of men and women don't have a primary physician. They only go when something is wrong. So what would you say would be one of the biggest things that you see in your practice? Sure. So men, most of the time, um, one of the first things they say is, I'm here because my wife you know, made me come, or if they're younger, my mom made me come. That would be me. Um, yeah, but a lot of the times it is because they're sick, you know, um, and they'll say, they'll say, I never go to the doctor, I never get sick, and unfortunately, a lot of times, by the time we see them, they are pretty sick, you know, they, they started off with a cold or, you know, a virus and simple bronchitis, and a lot of times it does, it turns into some bad things like pneumonia, so a lot of times when the men come in, it, it is for illness. Or injury, you know, they, they really hurt their back and they've been limping around for a week and their wife finally said, enough, enough, you need to go to the doctor. Dawn, what would you say, as we wrap up our discussion today on men's health, what would you say are some of the things that those guys need to start paying a little bit more attention to? Sure. So my biggest takeaway is make an appointment with your family doctor. Get those screenings done Get them on your radar, even if they're too young for the screenings, if they're not 50 yet and they don't need the colonoscopy. It does not hurt to get in there and establish with a family doctor, 
get the blood work done, and just make sure everything looks good. I think that that's my biggest takeaway. My second takeaway is any changes. So, like we talked about earlier, you know, if, if you do start having any type of chest pressure, even if you don't call it pain, if it doesn't feel painful to you, it just kind of feels pressure-like, those are red flags. Any changes in the way you normally feel is potentially something that could be wrong. So any type of change is something to kind of keep an eye on. Thanks again to Dawn Webster for joining us on Special Edition. Dawn always has some very good tips from allergies to colds to what to do about getting your guy to go to the doctor. We're always pleased to have Dawn join us on Special Edition. Now coming up next, two ladies who are going to tell us about some good nutrition as well as food safety. Don't go away. Special Edition will be back. Welcome back to Special Edition. Mary Arrett is a registered licensed dietitian and the supervisor for Northeast Pennsylvania area of Penn State Nutrition Links, part of Penn State Extension. She's joined today with Carol Zuberis, Nutrition Education Advisor for Luzerne, Wyoming, and Lackawanna Counties, with great advice on safety and saving food money. Mary, since we're talking about Penn State, we're talking about food, we're talking about nutrition, how do you fit into all this? Well, I get to work with a team of eight nutrition education advisors, and their purpose is to help people eat better for less. So who are you dealing with when we talk about people? Are we talking about students? Are we talking about the elderly? Are we talking about you and me? Who are we talking about? Actually, we're talking about all those people. Oh, Anybody who is receiving any assistance, for instance, SNAP benefits, they have, they're enrolled in WIC, or their children are receiving free or reduced school lunch, are eligible for our free program. We do have programs in senior centers in Luzerne and Lackawanna County, as well as we have programs with partners. And you really won't see us in the newspaper. Um, our partner information is confidential, and so we go where the people are. So if a partner is listening that services the same audience, we would love for them to reach out to us. What exactly are you trying to get across to them when you go in and you do one of these programs? So we have classes, we have nine lessons that we are uh, asked to teach. And so that's our funders who ask us to do that. So one of the lessons we would teach is um, drink better for less, eat better for less, um, think your drink, and then we have a food safety lesson. So let's back up a little bit. Eat better for less. We have a menu planning and a shopping list that we give people to use as tools to organize themselves. You know, we're busy today. Uh-huh. Everybody's busy. So we take some time, think about, you know, what your family likes to eat, what kind of foods you think your family um, needs to improve on, for instance, fruits and vegetables, and let's take some time and work it into a weekly meal plan. Then from that point, we'll take, we have these wonderful shopping lists, and we'll say, okay, let's look at the ingredients we need to, to do this, to, to actually have these meals eaten in the home. 
And then the step that even myself sometimes it's really hard to do is open up the refrigerator, open up your cupboards, see what you have on hand before you go grocery shopping. Or for some of our participants, before you go to the food pantry, maybe there are some meals you can make from what's on hand already. And it's probably a good idea to go after you've eaten to the grocery store and the food pantry so that you're not just picking things off the shelf because they look good. And we do have that conversation in our lessons as well. It's really interesting. We always say, you know, take your kids with you. It, it's a learning environment, new foods. I obviously, you can hear in my voice, I get excited about grocery shopping. I know some <laughs> people hate to grocery shop. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's good. Know your limits. But at the same time, you're right. There are some tricks to the trade. For instance, look at the lower shelves. Some of the eye-level foods are priced higher. And the other interesting thing we spent a lot of time is, because it's a little bit of math, is unit pricing. Those shelf tags are there because the government has said, we want to help you save your money. So you need to understand how to look at those unit pricing. Maybe the bulk size isn't the best price. So then, see, it takes a little time to grocery shop. Wow, there's a lot. I, I, You'd hate me. <laughs> Yep, this will fit. Okay, we got how much is this? All right, that's good. I'm out of there. <laughs> so it's, it's again, but you're looking at it, and you mentioned earlier, it's all about the, your lifestyle. And we have to eat. And I know many, many, many moons ago when we were in school, and we'd look at the, the food chart, that, mm-hmm. that food pyramid. Are we still looking at that? You know, Paula, now you're really dating me because I think I've been <laughs> right through <laughs> I've been through three different food visuals. And you know, we did we had the pyramid which was black on the bottom and all these little like sugars and fat things going through it and like nobody understood it. Then we went to the pyramid that had the guy walking up the steps, up the side saying, "Okay, we need we need you know, activity as well as talking about food." And you know, People, the bands then weren't horizontal, they went vertical. Nobody understood it. The only people that understood it, I think, were the dietitians <laughs> or like the nutrition education advisors that I got the fun job of, you know, training everyone. Now, with no more pyramid, we've got this plate. So we say half of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. A little small quarter should be grains, and then the other quarter should be protein. But then we don't really know what to do with dairy, so we kind of stick that dairy over on the side. But still, it's hard because we just heard some research that says if it was real food on the plate, people could relate better. So now even in our teaching, we're, we're, we're getting rid of those icons that, you know, look like grains and fruits and vegetables, and we're showing real pictures so that people can better relate. Well, I'll tell you, even when you talk about people who diet, and they say, you're only supposed to have as much as, as you can fit in the palm of your hand, or you're supposed to measure. And isn't it true that just looking at things and saying, well, anything in moderation? 
Right. So we live life. You know, life <laughs> happens. I mean, you get invited to a party. Um, you you didn't really feel well, so you skipped breakfast. And so now you're like, okay, now I can eat uh, all my favorite foods like uh, for lunch or dinner. Life happens. So, you know, I always say to, to, to the NEAs, Nutrition Education Advisors, who teach this class, I said, we have to get people relaxed when it comes to food. The media is great. They give a lot of good information, but there's a lot of emotion attached to food. Um, and actually, this was one of my research projects in grad school was um, the advertising of food and the huh? emotion. And we we really should like kind of maybe try to separate ourselves from the emotion with food and just look at food as a way to um, give us energy, um, to keep us healthy, because anytime we're sick, we have cells off dying off, so we need the protein. So long story short, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of connection to food and emotion, but in our classes, we really just try to encourage families to involve their children, have a discussion about food in your house, and then don't make it a battleground when it comes to Sitting down and eating food, which is key, Paula. Is You're not going to leave the table till you eat those Brussels sprouts. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? <laughs> yeah, so leave those kind of um, bad feelings or problems in the family behind. Make it a pack when you sit down with your family and we talk about these conversation starters because. Sometimes families don't know how to ask someone how their day was without being judgmental. So I know we've worked bringing this back in our program, like give them some little cards to say, instead of saying, how was your day to your child? Tell me, tell me what you did today. Tell me one thing you did today. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Right, right, right. (laughs) So food is great. We teach people how to keep our, you know, the bodies healthy. But at the same time, we give participants in our classes, which are typically small, we're like six to eight people, having conversations, becoming more comfortable with planning meals on their budget. Okay. I'm going to bring in one of your educators right now. And we're going to introduce you to Carol Zubris. And Carol has been a part of the program now for a while and has gone out to different locations. And you've had the actual hands-on, in-the-field work with people. So how do you go about doing that? Mary has all these all this great information, and you have such a diverse group that you're talking yeah, to. Yeah, I sure do. What do you do? Okay, I reach out to the agencies, and I make an appointment with them. For example, Head Start. Uh, it could be... A school. Senior centers. Senior centers. Okay. And I am, what I do, I introduce myself to the site director and then we schedule a program date. And there are four sessions, nine lessons in in those. And I have introductory paperwork that I have to do with the uh, participants. And they're all willing and able to do this. It's really, really a nice group. And what they do, I teach them four lessons. I'll teach them like a fix it safe, a food safety lesson. And then we'll have everybody get together and help and contribute their time in creating the lesson or the recipe and they get to taste it. So that's the interesting part about it. And plus, it's a great socialization, too. 
the people, the participants that I, I work with, the Expanded Food and Network Education Program, the FNET program. It's a chance for these moms or these dads or these caregivers to come out and socialize for like a two-hour period, come down and sit down. I do a PowerPoint presentation. I have handouts. I also have handouts in Spanish as well, and I'll have a translator as well. So there's, there's no limit. We welcome everyone. And something interesting that I always learned about the, the uh, language barrier, food brings people together. <laughs> and if they know they're going to eat, they're happy. <laughs> and sometimes they teach me a few tricks of the trade, too, or something about their ethnicity that brings us all together as well. So when you're involved in something like this, as Mary was saying, you're, you're also, you're not only teaching them how, but you're teaching them the why. So do you get a lot of questions from people right. saying, "I should I shop with the list? Should I shop Absolutely. per meal? Uh, you know, how, how does all that We have a about? sample grocery list. I'll say, which you'd go to the store and we'll review what they buy. And they say, well, maybe you could like, um, how can I say, save a little bit money on this, on the unit pricing. Maybe you can buy in bulk. Where do you shop? What time do you shop? Is it great, better to you to shop by yourself or without your children so you could participate and concentrate a little bit more? on your time and they like that too as well and I also teach them how to make healthy drinks as well we'll make a fruit smoothie we'll use a lot of yogurts I'd like to incorporate a lot of fresh fruit you know sometimes ago they don't eat a lot of fresh fruit and some and new vegetables jicama kale we haven't had kale in a while something interesting that they'll get a taste and they'll, they'll remember that and then I give them a recipe and they'll use it and and when they graduate after four weeks, they get a nice incentive. They get a professional development certificate from Penn State Department of Agriculture. And they can use it for professional development, a diploma. And, and they get really excited about it because some of them are going for their GED. And they have this piece of paper that they can use for professional development on a resume. They get an incentive. And they're, they're so thrilled. We get a group picture. And we can put, we have them sign permission slips. And they send it to their uh like for Head Start, for their newsletter. And it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of sustainability for these people to come together and knowing that they're going to get something out of this program. And that's really, 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 really rewarding to me. So sometimes I walk into a place and like, oh, what, what am I going to expect? But I feel like sometimes I'm just an ambassador of happiness. I'm just going to make this happen today. <laughs> an and ambassador yes, I, <laughs> of food happiness. <laughs> I make them exercise. They don't want to get, but then they do it. I play some music and we get them going. And that kind of like breaks the ice a little bit. Then after they have a laugh, then we sit down and we get through the nuts and bolts of the whole lesson. Then we relax. We do the participation in the food recipe. And I teach them, you know, you have to wash your hands. The yes. neurovirus is a big thing. A lot That's of our, what I want to talk to Mary about A lot next. of our participants are working in the food industry. They have to take the Safe certification. They're learning how to do that as well at some of the education centers. And this is sort of like a catalyst to get them going because it is a scary test. It is. And once they get through this food safety program with Penn State Extension, then they get a little bit more confident, you know, and using and the gloves and losing. Yeah. yeah, they do. Let's bring Mary back in and let's talk a little bit about that because we're talking about food and fun and all that kind of good stuff. But we're also talking about food safety. How does that fit into all this as well? Because again, I think you're talking to some people, you're talking to children. I just want to eat it. I don't care whether it's clean 
Well, that's a really good point, Paula. And so our funders uh, actually want to make sure that participants stay healthy as well. And we sometimes get stomach aches and we think, oh, it's something I ate. But really, maybe was it something like you didn't wash your hands? Food poisoning. Because Staph aureus is very, it's on. I mean, 50% of us have it. It's But we can manage it when it stays inside our body. But when you sneeze... And on the, you know, it, it sneeze goes off far away. If it hits the counter and say you put food on the counter, you've just contaminated that food. So we talk a lot about cross-contamination. I know that's a big word, but, you know, how do we sanitize cooking, cooking services? Um, how it's important, as Carol said, to wash your hands before. And, and it's not just like, Put your hands under running water and that's it. It's the importance of using soap because soap, when you rub your hands for 20 seconds with soap, it's actually removing the bacteria from your skin. A lot of people think, oh, we're killing the bacteria. Well, really, the only way to kill the bacteria is to actually um, heat it um, through heat. So you're just kind of removing it and letting it then um, go down the drain when you rinse it well. And then we talk about contamination or cross-contamination again is, well, how do you turn the faucet off? You know, use use a paper towel. Or if you're in the home and you're not using paper towels, well, that's important to, to change your dishcloth every single day. And Put it in the laundry. And be careful what you use with it, because when you say cross-contamination, I wasn't even thinking of hand-washing. I was thinking more of chicken and meat and on the counter and using this knife or this cutting board. So all of that comes into play here in the program as well. If someone is listening, and you mentioned this right in the very beginning, um, and they are involved in some of these, how would they get in touch with you? In order to say, yeah, I'd like I'd like Mary and Carol to come to my senior center, my daycare, my Head Start program. How would they get in touch with you? Well, they could call our office or they could email me. So our office's number is, we're located here in West Pittston. It's 570-825-1701. Or if they don't want to do a phone call, they could send me an email and it's my initials, M is in Mary, R is in red, E is in evergreen, the number two at PSU for Penn State University dot edu. So that's MRE2 at PSU dot edu. And we're really, we have openings now for partners with um, caregivers of children 19 and under that, uh, you know, if you're an agency or organization that has a small group, even if you're a church and you know you have families within the church that are, uh, you know, visiting food pantries and um, need some assistance in being able to spend those food dollars just a little bit more wisely or interested in just learning about new vegetables to give us a call or an email. And what a great thing now that summer is here and kids are going to be off school organizations are going to be opening their doors. You'd be a wonderful group to have come in and give a little bit of a presentation. We we do. We do ask for nine lessons. So there is, I mean, this... A little this, commitment, but that's good. The funder says that yeah. we need, we have some paperwork. It's all confidential. 
We do need, like Carol said, four times, so we usually meet for an hour and a half. And um, the neat thing about it is, as Carol said, the group is cohesive then at the end. I mean, it's all confidential, but they do share. They get excited about food, and it's a win-win situation, I think. Um, But again, it is time commitment on the agencies or organization part. Mary Errett, Carol Zubris with Penn State Nutrition. Always glad to have them here with us. Don't go away. We're heading out into the wilderness to find Bigfoot on Special Edition. Federal law enforcement in the Middle District of Pennsylvania are dedicated to making our community safer. And your help is making a difference. I'm United States Attorney David Freed. As the Chief Federal Law Enforcement Officer in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, I want to ensure all families feel secure on our streets. That's why we launched Project Safe Neighborhoods in October 2017. We've taken guns off the streets and charged violent criminals menacing your communities. A lot of these cases were made possible because of neighborhood support, people who reached out to us to report criminal activity. Our commitment to those who come forward is simple. If you see something and say something, we'll do something. In turn, we pledge, we'll be here, in your neighborhood, with your local law enforcement, working together to build relationships and deter crime. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thanks for joining us. Now we're going to meet someone whose results of his research may really surprise you. Did you know that Pennsylvania recently ranked third in the country for the best chance to catch a glimpse of Bigfoot? According to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, there have been more than 1,300 sightings of Bigfoot across our Commonwealth. I had the opportunity recently to catch up with Jason Talmadge. He's co-founder of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations. As I said, what he told me surprised me quite a bit, and maybe... When you hear what Jason has to say, it will surprise you too. Jason, how interesting is it to be tracking Bigfoot? Really? In Pennsylvania? Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Uh, We just ranked third in Bigfoot sightings for the nation with over 1,300 Bigfoot sightings. Here? Here Locally? Well, here throughout the whole state of Pennsylvania, the great thing about Pennsylvania is if you look outside the major metropolitan cities like your Philadelphia and your Pittsburgh and your Harrisburg, most of Pennsylvania is woods and farmlands. True. That's very true. So what I I guess my question is, as a Bigfoot investigator, and there may be people snickering out there, so let's make believers out of them. How do you go about going out, and does somebody call and say, hey, Jason, something happened? We have a, a different, or several different types of approaches we take. If someone gets a hold of us and says, I have a sighting, we'll chat with them and interact with them a little bit through private message on our social media, maybe do a phone conference with them. And if we feel that the sighting is legit and they're not just pulling our leg, we'll go out and have them show us where their sighting location was, tell more about it, and we'll do an active investigation of the area. When we go out and do an investigation, we just take on the role of what I like to call informed hiker. We know what we're looking for. We 
know kind of how to approach trying to get a Bigfoot to interact with us. And other than that, we just roll a casual hiker. So how do you get a Bigfoot? It almost sounds like it almost sounds like a joke, but it's it's true. Right. Um, they have different ways they communicate with each other, one of them being wood knocks and rock knocks, which they'll basically take a large stick and start banging it off a tree as if they're trying to hit a home run. It's kind of a Bigfoot version of a text message in a way, saying, where are you at? I'm here. Where are you at? Wow. So if one's in the area and you do a couple wood knocks, Maybe if they don't know you're a human and they think it's another Bigfoot trying to interact with them, they might reply back. Another Bigfoot? Yes. How many do you estimate might be out there? Ooh, it, it's really hard to say. Um, I mean, you look at Pennsylvania with the documented 1,300 sightings. 1,300? 1,300 sightings, yes. Uh, and I look at it as those are the people that took the time to... Forget about being ridiculed by their friends and neighbors and went and reported it to a researcher somewhere or someone that enjoys the subject. I can only imagine the amount of sightings that go unreported that just kind of stay with that person. And maybe when they're older in age, we have stories of their people saying, well, my grandfather had a Bigfoot sighting and he didn't tell us until he was on his deathbed and he just wanted to get it out of his system. Because uh, I'm just fascinated by this now. There's that many. So how many have you seen? I've personally never seen one. I've had just about every type of experience and found every type of Bigfoot evidence out there. But uh, my ca- catching lightning in a bottle moment is seeing one in person. So what evidence have you found? Well, here in Northeast PA, we have footprint castings we took outside of Wapwallapin. We also have footprint pictures that we took in Sullivan County on Gamelands 13, a little bit south of Red Rocks. We found footprints in the snow uh, outside of Berwick. That's pretty close. Yep. Now, where are you located? I Personally, I live in Swoyersville, but... In the general Northeast PA area, we've done over 80 investigations. That is really amazing. Of course, I know probably a lot of our listeners have seen the TV shows. I saw one not too long ago. I want to say they were in Anchorage or uh, someplace, uh, might have been Alaska somewhere or someplace up in there anyway. And it wasn't a Bigfoot, but it was something native to that area that they were tracking. Do we have anything like that in Pennsylvania that might be native here, or is Bigfoot native here? Bigfoot is native here, and depending where you go in the country, every area has different nicknames, they call them. For example, if you're in the South, they might be known as swamp apes. In Virginia, they're known as wood boogers. In Ohio, they're called the grass man. Uh, Native Americans have hundreds of different names for them. Actually, down in Lancaster County here, there's a small Bigfoot, and it's known as the Alba Witch. Oh, and do they all have the same, do they leave the same evidence? Do they have the same trail? What are you looking for? I know you said the footprints and stuff, but... For the, can, most, for the most part, they all leave the same type of trail. Um, if we're not finding any footprints, another way they kind of either mark their territory, communicate with other Bigfoots in the area, they make these weird, crazy-looking tree structures out of down trees and if we come across some crazy looking tree structure in the woods that doesn't look natural or a hunter's blind then it's a piece of evidence that we photograph maybe it is maybe it's not but it's definitely something out of the ordinary who do you have working with you um along with 
me, it's my wife, Michelle. Our other co-founder is Bob Bucko. He's out of Bloomsburg. And then we have Rob Veers out of Wapwallapin. How did you all get together and find out that you had this in common? I've always been interested in Bigfoot since I was a little kid. And once the show Finding Bigfoot came out, I'm like, holy cow, people actually go out and do this. (laughs) And And why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Yeah. And a friend alerted me that there was a local group so i kind of started bugging them and messaging them about letting me join so they finally let me join and i was with them for a couple months and that's where i met bob and after a few months uh, bob and i decided we wanted to go and be on our own and kind of do our own thing and that's when we founded pennsylvania bigfoot investigations in november of 2013 and about two years later we brought on rob and uh, my wife michelle's always been active in it you know being my sidekick and when no one else is there to go out in the woods with me she, she goes out in the woods with me and kind of talks me off the ledge when i get excited at, over a piece of evidence that might not be a piece of evidence and she's kind of our resident skeptic so there's only two of you that might go out into the woods do you have a way to trap this creature no we we don't want to trap it. We don't want to kill it. We just want to see it and get evidence of it. That's incredible. Um, now, how can people, if they are interested and they're hearing this and they're saying, you know, Jason, I'm kind of like that person. I don't want to take it with me. I want to share the information. How how can they get in touch with you? Right. You can find us on Facebook. Is the easiest way to get a hold of us. All you do is go up to your Facebook search bar, type in Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations, or... You could go to facebook.com slash PA Bigfoot INV. Wow, that's that's amazing. Do you have a group of people that, um, I guess, work with you or give you, you know, because I know we talked about in the very beginning where you can get some kind of a, uh, maybe a heads up from somebody that something looks a little bit strange. And I know the one I was talking about they were called in because animals were disappearing and animals were were being left that they had been harmed. Can that happen? They've known to steal chickens and other farm animals. Um, they've known to take cats and dogs. They don't get along too well with dogs. But generally, 99.9% of the time towards humans, they're nothing more than curious and want to be left alone. Where do they come from? Do you have any idea of their history? My theory is way, way back in the day, they came across the land bridge in the North America. There's this giant ape called Gigantopithecus. Came across a land bridge and maybe, maybe not interbred with early humans and evolved from then. Oh, and then they just kind of kept to themselves. Kept to themselves, yep. So do you suppose that somewhere out there there's a whole colony? They, they're known to travel in family groups. So there could be... Little ones as well as... Yes, yes. Uh, little ones are referred to as juveniles, and they travel in family groups, and people have reported seeing little baby Bigfoots before. Now, uh, we can't show them on uh, on the radio, obviously, but when you do go out and you do some uh, different discussions and have people come in, you have some of the casts yes. that you made. Can you describe those? Right. Uh, we took those outside of Wapwallapin in April of 2017. It was a private house. Uh, our member, Rob, his son actually found them in the woods bordering their house. <gasps> Came in, you know, Dad, Dad, you got to come and take a look at these. So the next day, we went out and casted everything. And it turned out to be what? How big? Uh, They're about, I want to say, 18 or 19 inches long. 
Yeah. Wow, that's bigger so, than a basketball shoe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of the NBA players. Yeah. <laughs> Were, was there any other kind of uh, stuff that he found there that maybe gave him the indication that this was something to... Well, what we think happened is uh, Rob has chickens on his property, so we think it came in to try to steal the chickens Ah, and, you know, have an easy meal. So you don't think maybe he has Facebook and he saw that you guys are looking well, for well, him? Well, no, no. Rob's one of our members, so, right. you know. Right. But you don't think Bigfoot... I'm, I'm teasing you. Right. I'm just teasing yeah, you, Yeah, but, uh, I mean, anybody could get a hold of us if they had a sighting or an encounter or think they had... One or just want to, you know, shoot the breeze with us and ask questions. And I think it's fascinating because, again, we don't know what's out there. We think we are the masters of our domain, but it's just like going into the ocean. Right. Who knows what's what's in the ocean? I I mean, every year new species are discovered. I mean, it was, I think, only a couple years ago they found a tribe of people living out in the rainforest that they had no clue even existed and... And things like that can happen around here because, as you said in the very beginning, we have we're inundated right. with forest land and a lot of places people have probably never been. Right? Yeah, there's definitely some remote places in Pennsylvania where people haven't set foot in probably a hundred years. And who knew? Like now you're out there. Good luck. Be thank careful. You, thank you. Thank you. Tell us how to get in touch with you once again. And I know you want to alert people to check your Facebook page because you do have something coming right. up later in the summer. Right. Uh, you could find us at Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations on Facebook or Facebook.com slash PA Bigfoot INV. Check back on the Facebook later in August. I forget the date off the top of my head, but we're going to be at the Berwick Library and we're up there once a year to do presentation and what we did last year it was actually pretty cool we uh did about a 15 minute presentation and then we went to a local active bigfoot area and actually took people out on a bigfoot investigation of whoever wanted to stick around and kind of show them what we do in berwick yeah outside of berwick yep Well, we'll have to keep an eye on the Facebook page. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jason Talmadge, co-founder of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations, for joining us. We'll have Jason back in the future to tell us about any more sightings that he and his group may have had and where, like he mentioned, in Berwick come August, they will be bringing their information to the community. Let's talk about America. Not taxes or tweets or the issues that divide us, but how incredible our country is. Left, right, up, down, state lines to winding coastlines. Whether you come home to a crowded city street, tree-lined suburb, or sleepy small town, everyone deserves to live in a clean, green, and thriving community. And we all share in the responsibility to create beauty that ripples from one neighborhood to another and one block to the next. We are Keep America Beautiful, the nonprofit working with millions of people just like you to end littering, improve recycling, and beautify our communities. Because every mindful action and sustainable habit has a positive impact, and it all adds up. Learn how you can join Keep America Beautiful at kab.org. Together, we can do beautiful things. Here's something you don't hear enough nowadays. 
Thank you. Thank you, Governor Wolf, for stepping up at a critical moment while the EPA turns a blind eye. Your greenhouse gas commitments and newly proposed rules to curb methane pollution from existing infrastructure will have an enormous positive impact on our planet's health. Methane poses a greater threat to our changing climate than initially thought. It's time for action. Call Governor Wolf at 717-787-2500 and urge his continued push to enact meaningful and effective methane regulations. Just in case you have someone who says there's nothing to do, tell them go jump in a lake at one of Lackawanna County's parks. They're now officially opened and remain open through mid-August. The swimming areas of lakes at Aylesworth, Merle Sarnoski, and Covington Parks are each opened from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. with lifeguards on duty. If you'd like more information, contact the county's Parks and Recreation Office. The 2019 Scranton Catholic Charismatic Conference will be held August 2nd through the 4th at the University of Scranton. The theme for this year's conference is, O Lord my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me from Psalm 30. Speakers for this year's event include the Reverend Raymond Francis, Patrick Rice, Dr. Mary Healy, and Bob Valiante. To register or find out more, call 570-344-2214 or go online to ccrscranton.org. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.